Hi, welcome to the Weird World Podcast. Have a weird world. The continuing Oktoberfest of weirdness that is the Weird World Podcast during October. Yep. Spooky. Very spooky. Spooky month. This is definitely a spooky one, I think. It's also a classic. It's a classic ghost story with elements Mm. of poltergeistism. Not a word. I know it's a little bit reminiscent of last week's episode, The Ghost Girl of Romania, but not really, because that was kind of a misnamed story, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't a it ghost. It was much, almost purely a poltergeist or demonic possession kind of a story. Yeah. This is much more of a ghost story, but there is some significant poltergeist activity. Do most people think that poltergeists are ghosts, though? Yeah, that's true. That's well, we talked about that. It means noisy ghost in yeah. German. Yeah, I suppose. So this is a yeah. ghost story. But, you know, it has more classic ghost elements that that aren't... Ghosts that aren't throwing shit at people's heads. Right. And it probably is not centering around a teenage girl. Well, turns out, at times, yes. (laughs) It's always a teenage girl. Sometimes a grown-up woman as well, as a matter of fact. So let me ask this question. What would you do if you thought your house was haunted? I mean, seriously, what would you do? Charge admission. Really? You would go straight for... (laughs) The, no. the gate. No, obviously okay. I wouldn't. Would you I stick around? Well, it would depend. If I felt scared and threatened, perhaps not. I would probably talk to the ghosts. Would you? Uh-huh. <laughs> would you tough it out for one horrific month, like the Lutz family of Amityville horror fame? And, and then write a book. And, and then write a bestseller? Maybe. Yeah. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I would, actually. Or would you get the hell out of there? I would have been in the house and say, this is beautiful. We got a chandelier hanging up here, kids outside playing. It's a beautiful neighborhood. We ain't got nothing to wear. I really love them. This is really nice. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. If I felt scared and threatened for my life, obviously I would leave. Yes, but... Otherwise. I would try as to, to legitimately document it in any way possible. Well, Sure. As opposed to yeah. calling in some fraud, you know, ghost hunter TV show kind of. Oh, bullshit. I would call it no one <laughs> because I don't think there's any actual real. No, but if I thought there was experts, if I if I asked around, try to find someone who's legit, someone who just wasn't doing some dumb TV show on you know History Channel or Discovery Channel. Okay, would, who who do you think is legit? I, I don't know. There might still they might still they used to exist. Maybe they do. Still they exist. did an academic. Oh yeah, absolutely. We've talked about. about that before. Early psychical researchers were absolutely attempting to get at the bottom of this. They thought it was a true phenomenon, and soon they would prove it, and it would be just another part of science. Right. But that's over with now, right? Pretty much. Now it's, they're all... Hey, what about, uh, wasn't there like a Duke? Doesn't Duke University Duke did for have a, long time. a parapsychology fact, department or that something would like be, that? We're going to do an episode on that one of these days. Yeah. I've been wanting to for years. Yeah. But yes, there was. And so is there anything like that? Uh, was. Stanford so also no had more. a res- uh, uh, into telekinesis and things like that. Stanford Stanford Research Center also had. Yeah. I, I don't know. There may be some kind of an academic looking in this who has some shred of, of dignity. So I, that's what I would do. Try to find that person and see if what it was. I mean, if, I, if I'm convinced... That something real is going on. Something real is probably going on. Yeah. So, not to sound like an asshole, but still, I mean, I'm not duped. I don't want to believe. I would love for a psychic phenomena or supernatural things to be true. I would love for there to be ghosts, but I, I would not be easily persuaded. Me too, and I would want it to be my dad. Oh, that's <laughs> sweet. 
I, By the way, I'm Dean. Oh, I'm Carrie. <laughs> it's just everybody us knows. Kids us are doing already. stuff. So let's get into the story here that we're going to talk about today. Okay. We start out in Essex, England. It's, England is a quiet country in the east of England. It's about seventy miles northeast of London, but it's otherwise kind of a world away. It's you know think. Greens and rural byways and sleepy villages. Cute little, like I was gonna say, like cute little cozy village. Yes, yes. There's always a murder in those cute oh. little cozy villages. Yeah, I suppose that's true. The people there love sport, ale, and voting conservative. <laughs> Borley Church in Essex County is old. Its stone nave is thought to date back all the way to the 11th century. The My church goodness. now I'm talking about. That's England. We don't have those here. We do not. Um, Well, we have some mounds and such, but not actually standing buildings, no. Do we have a year? We will eventually, yes. Are you going to do a timeline? I would be super, super impressed if you did a timeline. No, I'm not doing a timeline. You know, I can see you don't even have pen and paper. I just like to know whenabouts we're talking. Okay. Well, the core of the building dates back to the Middle Ages, the 14th and 16th century. The church was built for the good Christians of Borley in Essex. And that village goes back centuries, maybe even millennia, a millennia or so. And like the church, it has records of the, the village of Borley back to the 11th century. Its current population, though, is like 100. So it's oh. a tiny little t- village. In 1862, the good people of Borley and the surrounding parish built a rectory near the church. That's where, like, the minister lives or whatever? Uh, It's where the rector lives. The rectory was built in Gothic style. So it has, like, twin... It doesn't look super Gothic to me, but that's it's said that it's built in Gothic. So it has, like, these pointed arches, two kind of twin pointed arches. Otherwise, it's, like, red brick, normal-looking roof. Gargoyles? No gargoyles. So, yeah, it's not... In that sense, it's not. It just looks like... I I don't know that it really is even Gothic. That's what a couple things I read said. But it looks very sturdy, and it has like a green lawn in front of it, and then on three sides, it's surrounded by woods, by forest. Very bucolic. The effort to build the rectory was driven by the Reverend Henry Dawson Ellis Bull. Oh, Now, he had the required names. number of names to be an important person at the time, <laughs> minimum four. The earlier rectory had been burnt down in 1841, so they needed a new one. 20 years later, Bull gets this one built. If you're like me, you're probably thinking, what the hell is a rectory? Yes, I am definitely thinking, what is a rectory? A rectory is a house built to to be the home of the rector of the local church. And Who this begs what is? question? What the fudge is a rector? What the fudge is a rector? A rector is a church official who has, I, it sounds like more or less an administrative role. They're a priest, apparently, but they aren't like leading the flock and doing sermons and stuff like that. I get the sense. I, I believe me. I looked up rector. I'm still not a hundred percent sure what the hell a rector is. <laughs> I know. I've heard of deacons, and uh, have you heard of a vicar? Oh, of course. Well, a rector's like a vicar. In fact, in modern parlance, they're interchangeable. Not a hundred percent sure what a vicar does either, though. But again, they're well, administrative. A vicar is like the actual. He's like the head of the church. Clergy guy. Yeah, he's no the clergy, like I said, they're priests. Yeah. They're clergy, but they're like the head of the church, or sometimes they're the head of a college. It could be the rector of a college. Um, oh. So maybe they, sometimes they're even in charge of an entire parish. Like I said, I'm not a billion per You know, clear. some of these, if it's in a tiny village, there's one person who does everything. That may be who this person the, is. Yeah, the, that's true. The vicar and the little old lady who. Yeah. 
Yeah. Dust the pews or whatever. Dust but, the pews. I like that. But yeah. what do you do? I dust the pews. Yeah. And occasionally I jerk off the rector. Hey. Well, Damn. Carrie's a priest. I mean, they need. Oh, yeah, actually, they can marry. Never mind. Yes. So in 1862, Henry, and by the way, you're very offended by my fictitious <laughs> elderly <laughs> English lady. Okay. Yes. In 1862, Henry Dawson Ellis Bull was named the rector. So that's about a year after he helped, he got it built from, you know, funds from the parish. Yeah. So he basically he got the people around the countryside to build him a house. So all respect, hey, Henry Dawson. Yeah. Later, they even built him a new wing onto the rectory because the Reverend Bull had 14 children that he had to house. Oh, my goodness. And feed and clothe. So also much respect. Sometime during this period, so after 1862, the story started going around that way back in 1362, there had been a Benedictine monastery on the grounds of what would become the Borley Rectory. A monk there got to know a nun, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, that's not right. She I don't was, think that's allowed. It's not allowed. But she was at a nearby convent. They got to know each other. One thing led to another, and soon he was writing a letter to penthouse form. <laughs> When their illicit affair was discovered by, I guess, monastery bigwigs, whatever, the monk was summarily executed. He was killed quickly. Summarily. Summarily. Got it. Thank you. The nun... Executed? Uh, killed? He was killed. Yes. Well, that I don't know how it doesn't fit Nothing says how, but let's, let's go with beheading, yeah. I want to say. That's the, a little harsh. I a think. little harsh. The nun... Because she's a woman, she was bricked up alive in the convent walls and left to die of thirst, starvation, or what have you. Wow. So That's pretty barbaric, England in the 1300s. Yeah, it is. But there's no record if she was left with a cask of delicious Amontillado, so maybe she was, and maybe that would... Whatever that is. It's an Edgar Allan Poe star. I know, it's, but I don't it's know what wine. it actually is. It's a delicious Spanish wine. Well, you know, Benedictine monks, that's what they did. There you go. So maybe she did. Yeah. Maybe she started at, but she was able to drink yep. for, you know, about a month. This story would lay the groundwork for what would come. So let's talk about what would Ghosts come. Ghosts. Oh, yeah. One modern researcher recently claims that the ghost had been seen in the rectory, the old rectory, in like 1819, as far back as 1819, and that the ghost of that bricked-up nun had been seen as far back as 1836. This is much challenged, though. So oh. it's not clear that it really goes back that far. <laughs> the first documented tales of the ghost and crazy goings-on in the Borley Rectory starts from 1863, so it's just about a year after Bull moved in. Things started kind of slow. That year, the Bull family began hearing the sound of rushing water inside the house. The problem was the rectory was made with, there was no water. There was no right. pipes, and there was no like, water main to yeah. do that. So, okay, well, how's that happening? They weren't sure. But there, was there actually any water? Just the sound? No, just the sound of rushing yeah. water. It's like, what? You know, so they huh? were very confused by that because there should not have been yeah. any moving water in the house. Also, not super scary. Not super scary, but as I said, things started slow. Yeah. Trust me. Gets, they always do. Get spooked. Yeah, <laughs> they do. It's like the first act. you got to start things up. Well, it's just a hint, and then... All hell breaks loose. The daughter, Ethel, she seemed to be an early focus. And I think she was a, a teen probably. So, yes, there was a teen girl yeah. involved here. Often she heard loud rappings on her door. Like every night, some, something 
would knock on her door real loud, and she would go out there to investigate and find no one there. Once, she even saw an entity, or actually, she didn't see. Some unseen entity slapped her hard across the face as she lay in bed. So now it's starting to get a little serious, okay? Yeah. Still, still kind of slow. 20 years later, for instance, the ghosts were still there, still up to their shenanigans, in that, in the year, I think it was 1882, a nursemaid named Elizabeth Byford, she made fun of her supposedly haunted room. So she was in, the room that she was given was, they, the family said she was haunted. She said, no, that's bullshit, whatever. So she kind of made fun yeah. of it. And as you know, ghosts don't like to be mocked. No. They never have, they never will. Don't do that. Hey, ghost, anybody here? You know, you're cool. I believe you. So... That night, sometime past midnight, Byford was awakened by the sounds of feet, like feet, like someone in slippers walking back and forth outside her door. Uh-huh. A little freaked out, but she, you know, whisked the door open to see who's there, who's walking and bugging her. Nobody's uh, there. No one was there. I'll have to be honest. Mm-hmm. I have heard footsteps late at night. Have you? Yeah. Intriguing. You hmm. know how... On the like of the tile floor, when yeah. you hear, you know, bare feet, yes, you make that yes. little tick, tick, tick. Interesting, noise. interesting. Uh huh. Okay. Would you the very next morning give you notice and leave the house? Well, no, because I'm the mom here. Yes, but Elizabeth <laughs> Byford was a nursemaid, so she did. She she said, "Nope, having none of it. Gone. See ya. Bye." She's out. Henry's son Henry <laughs> succeeded to the rectory in 1892. And would hold on to that post until 1927. He also saw the spirits. So in 1900, it kind of started. Here, and in fact, you can kind of date this to being a lot of the impetus of what would happen later. It's going to get really going in the 20s and 30s. But in 1900, two of the second Henry's daughters, Frida and Ethel, as the different Ethel, apparently named after his sister, yeah. were walking back to the rectory from a summer party. So I think they were also in their teens. When they got to the lawn in front of the rectory, they saw, quote, a female figure with bowed head dressed entirely in black in the garb of a nun. Ooh. The nun kind of more the, more glided than walked along the lawn there, terrifying the girls, Ethel and Frida. Ethel and Frida ran to tell their older sister, Elsie. Ethel, Frida, Elsie. These are great names. These are very good. These are I classic like English they names. They are. It's 1900, so you're probably you're not going to have a lot of not classic English. True. Yes. Although mixing in uh, Chandra every now and again would be, I think, a good move. <laughs> just something. Just mix it up, England. So Elsie looks at them and says, what nonsense. I'll go and speak to it. So she's going to go talk to the ghost like you would do. Yeah. Yeah? I like Elsie. She's yeah. brave. So Elsie. Smart. Qu- she is smart. She crossed the lawn. So she sees the ghost. So she rushes over to, to talk to the ghost, I guess. And as she gets there, it whirls around and turns her and, and, and faces her yeah. for several seconds. And she froze. Yeah. She was terrified. When you come face to face with a real ghost. Well, yeah. especially if they look mean and menacing. Uh, yeah. So it, it just glared at her for a few seconds and then vanished into thin air. Yeah. Gone. So cool. Elsie was a believer. Yeah. Once, Henry Bowl, the reverend, had his dog, Juvenile. Huh? Juvenile, juvenile. It's not like that. It's it's um, like a, I think it was a Latin something. Yeah, a Roman somebody. I can't remember, or somewhere. He's a something. Dogs are playing behind you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are spasses. 
Henry and his dog were in the garden when the dog started an unholy howling. The dog was cowering and gazing into this little group of trees, of, of like fruit trees, looking at something. So naturally, Henry follows the dog's vision there, and he sees two legs. He sees legs like below the leaves, below the leaves and branches of one of the trees. Yeah. You can just see the legs. Like there's a person back mm-hmm. there, right? That's like when you see the legs under the curtains. Yes. Yes, it is like that. That's scary. So, but after a couple of seconds, the legs moved from behind the branches and leaves and they show the rest of the body, an entire body, except the head. Oh, female body? No, a male body, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, it doesn't, I don't, we we don't know if it's the monk or not. In fact, there's good reason to believe it's not. So the headless spirit, when I said, by the way, there was no, every accounting just says that the monk was was executed. It doesn't say how he was. I made up the head beheading. Well, who knows how many people were beheaded in the area. That's true. The headless spirit walked through the garden right in front of Henry and his dog and then through a locked gate and then disappeared. Ah. So he's a little wigged out now. On another occasion, Henry saw a headless ghost, which I have to assume was the same one he saw in the garden. Yeah. And it was driving a spectral coach drawn by two phantom horses. Oh, fancy. So there was this headless coach and horses, and that became iconic. The the nun ghost and the headless coachman ghost became kind of iconic ghosts in, in Borley. And specific to the coach, anyway, sometimes Bull would hear, just hear, the hooves and the wheels of the headless coach, the, the horses, the horse-drawn coach. That's it. Yeah. You just hear it. Other times when he saw it, this ghostly coach, it would be silent. It would make no noise. So it seems like one or the huh. other, which seems kind of weird. Yeah. By the way, I wonder if this inspired the Disney Haunted Mansion, because don't they have a headless, isn't there a headless coach driver? He has his head, or am I mixing it up? There's there is coach- somebody holding their head, but I don't Is it not the coach driver? I don't know. A coach driver? I don't know. I thought this might have might have inspired. Remember, Haunted Mansion was built in the fifties. It was one of the not the first wave of rides, but it came shortly thereafter, yeah. late fifties, I think. And well, so I this wasn't was, ancient history. I it, I thought it was based on like Madame Lalaurie's oh uh, house because it's it's very um, it's in the Bayou, yes, yeah. But I just I mean specifically a headless coachman. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I don't, I don't know. know. Just guessing. So. Things really picked up around 1927. The nun ghost started started making, at that point, almost just regular appearances. They had a carpenter named Fred Cartwright who was working there, doing some work in the rectory, getting it for the, ready for the new rector who's going to come soon. I will tell you who he was in a minute. He was not from the area. He was not a local, so he had not, didn't, he had not heard the stories, right? Didn't know the lore. But he saw... A nun four times in two weeks while he was working on the rectory. He just thought it was some nun. quiet <laughs> nun who was in the air and just liked to walk around the grounds. So he, she looked like a real she looked person. Like a, to him, at least, she looked like a real person, yes. Huh. But then the last time, the fourth time he saw her, she disappeared. That's when he realized, oh, shit, that's not been a real person all this time. Huh. So a little freaked out was Fred. So later in 1927, the Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife moved in as the new rector. Not long after they got getting cozy, they're settling in. The missus, whose name is not given, because <laughs> we know. 
She's a, she's a lady. They don't she's need names. I'm sure it's some sources do, but most of the sources don't give her a name. She was kind of cleaning out some old junk from the kitchen and elsewhere around the house, right? So I imagine a fun montage. She's got one of the, uh, the reverends, like his old work shirt on, and she's got her head, hair back and like a bandana, and she's doing crazy stuff, and they're playing, I don't know, Silent House by Crowded House. Wait, that's about dementia, so let's not have that song. Maybe Walking on Sunshine. I don't know, something like that. That's exactly the song I yes, was thinking of. That. So, I, so think about that, and think about while she's doing that, she's rummaging through a cupboard, and she finds an old brown paper parcel. She says, what the heck is this? Let's see what kind of little old treasure is in here. That's, so she, That's terrible English so, so You have to do that. You would not open the parcel. Seriously. Of course you would. Of course I would. I said that was a terrible English accent. Oh, that wasn't an English <laughs> accent, actually. <laughs> So I that's know. why it was terrible. <laughs> Dork. You want me oh, to do yes. I can do a perfect pitch perfect English accent. I'm just not going to. You, you would sound like Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello. Uh-huh. I was a drive by fruiting. What? One hundred percent open that parcel. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Good, good, good. So she blows off some dust, she unwraps the parcel, and she finds a head. Close. Very close. A human skull. Is that what you meant? Yeah. Okay. When you said head, I thought like the flesh and on. That would be horrifying. Yeah. A skull's scary enough, but a, a severed head? Come on. That would be gross. Yeah. So she finds the skull. She's a little freaked out, but you know, people keep weird things around the house, especially in those sure. old English houses. So she has her husband just bury it in the churchyard, you know, the graveyard, whatever, and huh. give it a nice Christian burial and it's done. So good. That doesn't seem very official or proper. No. If she's a Winchester, she would have burned it just to be safe. Yeah. But not back then. I don't believe that that would work for anything, to be honest. What would work? Burning it. Mm. Carrie, I'm going to, as a Supernatural fan, and all the other Supernatural fans out here, out there, we strongly disagree with you. We know all, for a fact that all Burning three Bones... three of you? <laughs> oh, my God. The show was on for 15 years. You and Rachel and oh, that other guy. Oh, my God. Jesus. You're a monster. I'm just joking. That's it, not funny. It was a, you know... Fairly good show. It's a great show. Did they do the same thing again and again? Of course they did. And it was on again, for 15 and again, years. And again, you can't and again. not. Still, I think so. Hey, Sammy. more power to them. Yeah. So you figured that was that, right? We, we bury the skull? No, 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 no. That was not that. Not by a long shot. This kind of almost opened the floodgates like a trigger. And sudden, oh. just everything happens, right? Unexplained lights begin to appear. Formless footsteps walk the hall- hallways more than ever before. One time, Guy was, Guy Smith, the reverend, he was crossing by the blue room one night. The blue room was one of the rooms in the rectory that was said to be really super haunted, like the most haunted room. I don't know if that was the room they put the nursemaid in back in 1882, but probably. Yeah, I was anyway. say, it's a bedroom? It's a bedroom, yeah, exactly. So he is walking by the hallway by the blue room, and he hears whispers from inside the room. They're kind of undecipherable at first. He can't really understand them. But then a voice rose, and it's, he heard it say, quote, Don't, Carlos, don't. So, Carlos? Sure. Carlos, yeah. Odd. That's interesting. It is. There was a Spaniard there? Apparently, at some point. <laughs> so, guy knows what he's going to find, but he has to do it anyway. He whisks open the door and finds nothing. Nothing whatsoever. And again, the footsteps got to be so bad that at one point, Reverend Guy got sick and tired of it. So if someone was spoofing him, he decided to have his, his revenge. Did they have like good records he, um, directory from the past? I mean, could he try to find out who Carlos might be? You know, I don't know. 
if if he could have, he didn't. The record directory is only from 1862. This actual standing rectory. Oh, so that's it's not, true. It's not. This is 1927. It's not that old. Well, There's only he was only the third rector. If I'm no, but there was a rectory before they mm. built a new rectory in 1862, right? So yes. there was something before that. Yeah. So did they, they, I, I would think. I well, mean, it, it. You know what though? If it was it was destroyed by a fire in 1841. So maybe the records were yeah. destroyed with it, unless they kept the records in the church. I don't know. Yeah. But I he mean, didn't. That's what churches are good for a lot of times, wow. is records. Wow, Carrie. <laughs> that's okay. What? All right. All right. No, I'm not saying anything. They care about those baptismal They do. That's true. Files actually. or whatever. That's true. But So anyway, he, he was so tired of the footsteps, he, just in case someone was kind of hoaxing him, he grabbed a hockey stick and he hid behind a wall and he waited for footsteps to come. And they're so ubiquitous at this time that they did. So here's the footsteps coming down the hall and he springs out and just immediately swipes a blow at where the person, if there was a person there, would be. Yeah. But of course, he swung right through nothing, nothing. whatsoever. I have a question. Yes. Hockey? Hockey in 1927. I yes, they play hockey in the England. NHL was a thing. Oh, I don't know if they played a lot of hockey in England, but maybe they played some field hockey. I don't know, or maybe they did play it. They probably played it. It's big in Canada. I don't know. I have no idea. I didn't think hockey was a thing in England. No, but you know, maybe I have no idea. <laughs> Actually, it, apparently it was. Rugby doesn't have any kind of stick. No sticks. No sticks. Lacrosse is lacrosse. Lacrosse is no lacrosse is from the United States. Actually, is it really? Mm-hmm. Why we name it lacrosse? Uh, it was actually Native Americans invented lacrosse. Oh, is that a Native American name? I, oh, originally, it's it is French now, but originally it, it, it meant the stick or something like From that. Those fur trappers. Fur trappers. There we go. Yes. What is it to your blame? We love this game. We will call it lacrosse. That it's, was probably, it's probably my ancestors that. Probably your ancestors. Invented right. lacrosse. Not mine from Scotland that I thought were. Sioux Indians. No, I got French fur traders. You do? That's right. Yeah, who married Uh, an unknown Chippewa woman. Unknown Chippewa woman, yes, yes, yes. So now the Smiths had had enough. They needed help. Oh, I thought you were going to say they're out of there. (laughs) No, not yet. (laughs) So they did what you would do. It's the late 1920s. They they did exactly that. But they, they sought help, but they went about it in a very odd way for a small village rector. They contacted the Daily Mirror. The Daily Mirror, you've probably heard of it, then and now, is a credulous tabloid. It prints a lot of bullshit. It's a big mass market newspaper based Wait, in London. There's also Daily Mail. Same, it's just as same bad. Type of thing. You, know, you know, I could be smearing the mirror unnecessarily. I know the Daily Mail is an absolute piece of shit. You shouldn't use it to pick up your dog's poop on the lawn. That's being unfair to your dog's poop. The Daily Mirror, I don't think it's much better. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So I could be wrong, though. I, uh, um, apologies. You'll, you'll have to issue an, a correction and an apology <laughs> if you're wrong. I don't know. But anyway, it was a mass market tabloid that loved ate this stuff up and loved this kind of stuff. So for whatever reason, though, he, they, the Reverend Smith contacted them, and he said he wanted them, the Mirror, to get him an investigator to come find out what's going on in his okay. house. Weird what he... I mean, I don't think... There are psychic researchers in the white pages, but if, I feel like there could have been a, a different way to do this because it's guaranteed to bring sensationalism and publicity yeah. to this thing. And you're, like I said, you're a small village rector. I mean, I'm, were, were yeah. the Smiths looking for fame and fortune? I, I might have gone to a university, like you said, yeah. or like I said, <laughs> like one it, of us said. It is weird, though. Yeah. That they did that. So it is a, I mean, I have to admit, it's a little suspicious that they did it that way. 
So, or, well, you know, I don't know. Who, who Really? The who, Daily Mirror. Who would have... Re- well, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, in America having the you know National Enquirer or the Globe yeah. and say, hey, can you send me a psychic researcher? That's, I mean... It's 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 very odd, well, especially but, when you like I said you're, you're this retiring Smallville director is not yeah. is someone who should not be looking for publicity. Well, but who would they contact? The London Times would they I, better or, or like I said, just just like contact someone at Oxford or Cambridge, whatever. That's what <laughs> a, I would a university do, yeah. and find out if you know. Again, this is at a time still where they the psychic re, the what is the the psychic. Psychical research, whatever group was a fairly prominent group. They could have, I'm sure, they could have found someone who knew someone who had the number. Anyway, the mirror was on it, so they immediately sent up a reporter. They also sent Harry Price. Price. We know him. Yeah, the, there was his organization in mm-hmm. London. Mm-hmm. So duh. yeah, it was a competitor in the sense of the older Psychic Research Center. Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the acronyms, but he was by this time a very well known psychical researcher. He was the co-star, one of the co-stars of The Ghost Girl of Romania from last week. Yep. And he fashioned himself as kind of a skeptic, especially in the early days. He started this stuff in the 1908 or something like that. He was an ex-magician, so he's almost like a James Randi of his era. Um, and he had gone on to expose some of the fraudulent methods of mediums in, the, in his early days. This is no longer his early days. Yeah. He, in fact, as a matter of fact, aside, he had invented the Ghost Hunter's kit, essentially. Oh. He said, you got to have a tape measure. Because that way you measure walls to see if there's any, like, like you know, hidden rooms or something like that. Oh, okay. He said you got to have cameras. And then later he did even develop a remote controlled camera so he didn't have to be in the room if something happened. He said you should have some kind of a portable phone so investigators could talk to each other at the same time, in, in, in real time, and tell each other what's going on. And how did they have a portable I, phone? I have no idea. And this may have been later, maybe. So he was he's investigating until ni- up through 1948, so it's possible oh, okay. some of this stuff came later than now, which is 1929. Yeah, they had some sort of walkie-talkies by they then, right? They must have, right? by yeah. the end of his, you know, investigations. But if they had had FLIR heat spotting cameras and those electronic, you know, recording devices, he would have had them. Maybe they just had uh, cans maybe. connected by Long a string. string. <laughs> yes. People were kept on dripping and stuff, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, would work. It would. Price, however, would l- often endorse mediums and said they were le- legitimate. So in between, he's you know proving he's calling some out as fakes, and others he's saying no, they're real. Yeah. And really, no other serious psychical research at the time was ever endorsing a medium because yeah. every medium they checked was was fake. Did he charge for his endorsement? I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't <laughs> be shocked. And as we'll see, by this time, by 1929, late to 1920s, it's open to grave question where he, was he still really a skeptic or had he already morphed into this kind of almost like a pretend believer, a pretend skeptic who was really just looking for paydays. I mean, he wrote a book about this. He wrote a book about the ghost girl for mania. He did yeah. Pieces of a Life magazine. He made a lot of money off his, his stuff. So regardless, though, he was, you know, considered largely a serious researcher. And... When he got there, his presence seemed to act almost like a second trigger. Immediately, the phenomena ratcheted up. On the very first night, he's there in 1929, Price and the uh, photographer from the mirror named V.C. Wall, they were traipsing about the forest outside the rectory, I guess looking for ghosts, hoping for maybe a headless coachman, maybe a nice nun, something like that. Yep. They didn't see any ghosts in the woods that night. But then at one point, they looked back to the house, and they saw a light on in a, second story window 
what they'd call the first story in England, which is wrong. It's the second story, and just stop it and adopt. We will take your boot and your car park. You do first and second story, okay? No. Fair? No. Fair, England? No. Fair? Oh, we'll also say cheers. I like that. They can do however they want to. Agree to disagree. So they see this light on the house, and I guess it's it's weird to them, because I guess there's no one supposed to be there. They're, you know... So I guess the family, well, I don't know, moved out. But it was odd to them. There's a light on. So they sent someone inside the house, back inside the house, and said, go check that out. When that person went up to the room where the light had been seen from outside, he got in there, opened the door, and it's completely dark. There's no light on. So he huh. says, hmm, that's odd. So he goes back outside, and he goes back to the uh, photographer wall and to Price and says, it's, the room's completely pitch dark. It's, there's no one in there. There's no light. They say, look up. Indeed, the light's on, and they say the light was never off. Oh. So f- from outside, you're seeing this spectral light. From inside, there's no light on in that room. That's the most innocuous, mundane kind of haunting there could possibly be. Way to pour cold water <laughs> on a pretty spooky event. Carrie, that's just getting started. That's the first night or so. Okay. I yeah, guess that's the first starting night. easy. Yes, they're again, easy again. <laughs> you start off slow. You build. You build. The next okay. night, Wall, the photographer, claims that he saw a spectral nun gliding toward a little stream in the woods. And there now, now he did see his ghost better. in the woods. Yeah. Yes. Later, a heavy glass candlestick soared right by the heads of Wall and Price and crashed into a heavy iron stove, shattering into a thousand pieces. Not good. There were uh, also just constantly like rocks and pebbles bouncing around, being flying through the air. Again, this is these are kind of more poltergeist-type activities, aren't yeah. they? And also the bell to ring the servants would all the time ring out on its own with no one there to ring it. One night, even two keys. I guess you, you know how you leave your keys in the doors yes. of bedrooms. Yeah, there's two keys left in the doors in the ha- at the same time. They both popped out and landed onto the hallway with no one there yeah. to pop them out. So a lot of stuff's happening. Yep, according to Henry Harry Price. And of course, anytime the investigator or reporters or, or photographer or whatever would, you know, these things would happen, they'd rush to wherever they may have been happening and see no one there. No prankster was ever found yeah. doing something like that. Later, even Price would try to have the house exercised two times. And he also would later, we'll get to this in a bit, he used mediums to try to contact the spirits. I, I say this only because kind of odd behavior for a skeptic to use mediums and, and use exorcism. That's yeah. not what a normal psychical investigator would do. Just saying. If, if you, again, if you really think this is some kind of a physical phenomenon that we ju- just don't understand yet, you're not using mediums right. and psychics and things like that. So when Price finally left, the phenomena died down almost immediately. It didn't stop, but it calmed way the hell down the, the, the time he was there. Yeah. His reputation that was made by this, I mean, he was already a, a well-known person, but this really made him pretty famous because this became a hugely famous case. It was a giant story for a long time. I mean, there were articles in the paper constantly about the goings-on at Borley Rectory. He, Borley, Price, by the way, would retell the events at Borley in long piece he called the most haunted house in England. And to this day, it retains that name. It's kind of famous oh. as the most haunted house in England. And the, t- the title fits, honestly. The hauntings lasted for over a century, as we'll see, 
which is not that long by English ter- um, standards, but they were just so damn ubiquitous, just constant. They were just, re- the Reverend Guy Smith, actually, he kept detailed notes. Of, he was there for five years. No, wait, not even five years. Something like that. And he kept detailed notes of just every single event that happened, every single unexplained event. All those shakes and rattles and rolls and steps and flying objects and the ghost sightings and things like that. So it was just, Borley Rectory was maybe not super original, but prolific. And that's so why it's called presumably that. presumably the next rector that moved in also saw stuff? Oh, we'll see. Oh, okay. <laughs> won't we now? <laughs> So, and this is what made really the Borley Rectory famous. These, the, the articles in the Daily Mirror, Harry Price is being involved, Harry Price's books and, and articles about it. In uh, June 17th, 1929, at the end of Harry Price's initial investigation there, the Daily Mirror summed it up with, quote, the rectory continues to receive the unwelcome attention of hundreds of curious people. Yeah. And at night, the headlights of their cars may be seen for miles around. Wow. One enterprising firm even ran a motor coach to the rectory, inviting the public to, quote, Come and see the Borley ghost. And cases of rowdyism were frequent. <laughs> so rowdyism. it became, like it, it was a huge deal. Yeah, I would imagine. I did misspeak a minute ago. It was actually, the Smiths were there for about two years. In oh. June of 1929, the Smiths had finally had enough forever. So Wait, they, is that why they left? That, yeah. All oh. this, they just couldn't deal with it anymore. All, huh. the, all the stuff going on. All the hauntings was... Got too much for them. Hey, they stayed for two years. I know, but it doesn't sound particularly scary. Really? Seeing ghosts, hearing footsteps, having stuff fly through the air? Come on. I don't know if it's Glass not- tumble. What was that made? Glass candlesticks shatters right in front of you? Oh, come on, man. Yeah. Would you really stick around? I don't know. Maybe he got a better offer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know. you know, I don't know. Again, the rector, by the way, the, the parish owns the house. The rector doesn't own the house. Just yeah, lives that's there true. During their rectorship, which is usually the rest of their life, though. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that was a lot longer than the Lutzes. What were they there? Not even a month in Amityville? Yeah, but they before were Before they bitched out? They were being told to get out. Yes, that's true, but... That, that was a little bit grosser. Yeah, they did have blood from the wall. That yeah. was a little scary. That's true. But now, and also, it was notorious. They probably got sick of the crowds and the rowdyism. That that would be more bothersome to me than the actual ghosts. Yes, and apparently, it was bothersome to other people because it took a while to find a new rector. Well, yeah, I imagine. Yeah, it was not until October of nineteen thirty that the Reverend Lionel Algernon Foister and his monstrously English name moved into the Borley Rectory. Yep, he. Needed one more name. He did need one more name, but he makes up in quality what he lacks in quantity. Algernon. Lionel, <laughs> Lionel Algernon Foister. Oh, my God. That's spectacular. So he brought with him his considerably younger wife, Marianne. Okay. And their three-year-old toddler, Adelaide. Seemingly acting as almost like a third trigger, the spooky events again started happening almost immediately after the foresters moved in. Windows started breaking for no reason whatsoever. Little Adelaide was one time mysteriously locked in a room that had no key to let her out. Well, I don't know what they did. They, I don't know if they chopped the door down or something, but she's freaking out. Someone locked her in. There wasn't a key to be found. Yeah, She was wigged out. Poor little Adelaide. Bottles and stones were flying into walls and down hallways just all the time. It became, again, 
just just almost daily occurrence. Yeah, this would be a problem if you have a three-year-old. A huge problem, <laughs> yeah. Most of the phenomena here seem to center on Marianne, the wife. I don't know. Nothing I read says how old she was, but she was, I'm going to guess, she had a three-year-old daughter, so she probably was in, I don't know, her 20s, late 20s? Didn't say how old he is, just that he was a lot older yeah, than her. Yeah, I mean, it could be early, mid-20s. Could be, could be. I saw a picture of her, and I don't, I, I, it's hard to say. It, 24 to 39. Yeah, back it's in those really days, difficult. it's hard to tell. Yeah. A lot of the activity... Again, centered on her, and one time she was hit so hard by an unseen entity again that it left her with a black eye and a cut. Wow. So she got smacked around by this thing. Another, Did anybody see this? No one happen? saw that. No, I don't think so. Maybe mm. the rector was a bit I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I don't think so, but hey, you never know. Another time, this is going to scare the hell out of you, Carrie. Okay, she's washing her hands. So uh-huh. what do you do when you wash your hands? You take your watch off. She took her watch off. Set it by the side, right there next to her. She washes her hands. She finishes washing her hands. She reaches over to pick up that watch, and the strap has disappeared. The watch is still there, but the strap for the watch is gone. Terrifying, right? Huh. Or mildly annoying. It's hard to say. <laughs> but so by this one, the ghost is mildly irritating as opposed to it's a really horrifying. It's a pranking ghost, yes. Once or twice, though, she was tossed out of bed, literally flung out of bed. Wow. So this ghost got physical at times yeah. with her. And by the way, at times, there were witnesses from outside the house to attest to this. Not just the carpenter. Remember the carpenter? Yeah. There was also a time in December of 1931, a family friend named Lady Whitehouse and her nephew Richard Whitehouse, great last name, by the way, were there visiting. They are over for a nice little visit. The two of them were being entertained by Marianne in the, let's say, study? I have no idea. The tea room, whatever. And all three of them at the same time saw a glass tumbler drop out of the air above them and thud to the floor at Richard's feet. Richard was certain at the time. He said, look, if anybody so, sort of, you know, threw that in from outside the room, it would have shattered. It's well, on stone floors with rugs and things like that. But if I anybody would, threw it anyway. in, it wouldn't come straight down. No, it wouldn't come straight down also. So yeah. he was pretty perplexed. Twice, I mentioned the um, exorcisms. Those were done at this time by the Reverend Foister with Harry Price in attendance. Foister tr- twice ha- tried to exercise the rectory of its spirits and hauntings, yeah. and he was he failed. Do they have exorcism rules and regulations like, in the Anglican, Anglican Church. Yeah, like uh, they have. I don't know. They must. I mean, because not just any old clergy people can do it. You need you need to call in a, an old priest and a young priest, as we've established. Yeah. And they you need specialists who know it, what the hell they're doing. It has to be approved by the church. Well, this is the Ang- Anglican Church. It doesn't sound well, like there was anything like that. I know, but that's what I'm saying. I don't know. But you're thinking Catholic. This is These are not Catholics. I know, but you need somebody who's qualified and knows what they're doing. Do you? He thought he could handle it. He Why? could not, but he thought he could. Why? You don't even know what it is. Well, you just, you know, you just speak some Latin, you tell it to go, and it's supposed to go in the name of Christ. Do they do Latin? I command you. In Maybe. In church? I don't know. I don't think so, actually. But still, they were kind of, early on, I remember they were kind of Catholic light, but. Yeah. So then one of the scariest, or just the strangest phenomena started to happen. It was in March of 1931 the ghost of Borley began to try to communicate with their living co-inhabitants, and really just one person, Marianne. Yep, I knew it. Yeah. At first, 
these were in the form of little notes scribbled on scraps of paper. They'd just be found around the house and it would just have little notes to Marianne, little messages for her. Such as? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about them later in, in one second. Okay. But I don't know. Nothing I read actually says what the notes said, but they were apparently addressed to Marianne. A prominent local couple named the Brathwaites, who were like into spiritualism at the time, they came over for a seance and they asked the spirits to write a note. The spirits obliged and the note was saved for posterity. And yes, aggravatingly, nothing I read said what the ah, hell the note said, which is super that is annoying. annoying. Yeah, it is. At some point, though, the communications morphed into wall writing, writing on the walls. It was really bad. It was like chicken scratch. We'll have some pictures of it. The messages were, again, always addressed to Marianne. So some of the wall writings were just Marianne's name. Like sometimes it just said Marianne on the wall. Yeah. Ink. It's just suddenly there. No one saw it. No one could explain it. Another message asked Marianne, quote, please help. It looks like it says Marianne, please help. Again, in really kind of almost childish scrawl. Yeah. Another mentioned, quote, light mass prayers. At least that's what I read. It's weird looking. Huh. Another was so illegible that it could not be understood, but appeared to ask for help. Marianne, an investigator, investigator, wrote back to the ghost in block letters so they could differentiate it from the ghost writing, which was in kind of a, again, a cursive, a big loopy, scribbly cursive. And here's this, this little dialogue on the wall in, in one picture. We'll show it on, again, we'll show it on Facebook, website, et cetera. So one little series of messages said the following. It said, quote, Marianne, get help. And then there were kind of like three or four completely indecipherable words. I can't understand them, and neither could they, because the next match is in block letters, written apparently by Marianne, or uh, there was another researcher there at the time. It said, I cannot understand, tell me more. This was answered by the ghostly writing that said, Marianne, light is, and then something, something, something. Cannot read it. They huh. could, again, they couldn't either, because they write back in block letters. They write back, I still cannot understand, please tell me more. So this, I'm assuming this was very frustrating to, to the ghost. Yeah. I mean, it can't be easy to hold a pen in a non-corporeal say, yeah. form, right, by what, itself. So it was written with a pen? They, it looked like it to me, yes. Okay. And, I mean, let alone writing legibly on walls, that's not easy. All the while, by the way, having to keep a lookout for anybody who was watching you because no one ever saw these writings just suddenly appear onto the wall. They're just well, there and found and discovered. Could be in the middle of the night. Yeah, of course, of course. Okay. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Ultimately, it came to be understood some, that the ghostwriter wanted help yeah. as they asked for it. But they also asked, they just wanted to rest, quote unquote. And Aww. they asked for mass prayers. Again, I read that <gasps> as, yeah, something light mass prayers. So they wanted mass prayers. Apparently something like, you know, maybe their soul was not at rest. Light a candle for me. Yes. And okay. Okay. everybody say a bunch of prayers for me. Okay. Because. Wait, are you asking for this now? or No, was, I'm uh, saying that's what they want. Oh, I see. Because okay. for whatever reason, they're not getting in. To the next world. Past the pearly gates. Yep. They're stuck in yep. this. They can't move on. Uh-huh. The classic ghost that can't move on. Yep. It was not at rest. They wanted to rest. Yeah. All right. I don't blame it. They should say, what's your name? Yes. Yes. Not tell me more. Like, yeah. And write it. And by the way, work on the penmanship. You have, again, we'll put it on these pictures on. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> So in January of 1932, while the writings were at their height, Guy Lestrange visited the house and he visited the Foisters. 
He would soon experience the strangeness firsthand, very soon. As he parked his car on arriving at the house, he looked up and saw a person standing on the porch. That person vanished as he approached it. What is he? What's his reason for being there? We'll find out in a minute. Okay. Lestrange saw a lot in his short stay. He would later say this to to the media, quote, Later, being entertained by the rector and his wife, he heard for the first time of mysterious forms, male and female, being seen inside and outside the house, of lights in unoccupied rooms, of articles appearing and being thrown, of fires breaking out, of mysterious whisperings and unexplained writings on walls and scraps of paper. Once the rector told him he was working alone in a study when he saw a pencil rise from the desk and scrawl words on the wall in front of him, no hand was visible. Mm. That's what Lestrange said happened while he was there. We'll okay. get back to that in a second. In a okay. The Foisters finally left Borley Rectory in 1935. The parish wanted to sell the infamous abode, but was having trouble doing so. So Harry Price re-enters the picture. He rented the residence for one year, I think with the help of newspaper backers, because he's going to write articles for them, right? right? Yeah. So he rents the house, and he says, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. He plans a thorough research effort. Wait, was he going to live there? He was going to live there for a year. And he also recruited eventually 48, quote, official observers to rotate in watches constantly inside the rectory, and they were going to record any kind of phenomena. That's a good idea. It's a very good idea. Much sometimes is made that they included very respectable people like doctors and lawyers and soldiers, but actually most of them were students often working on weekends just to make some extra money. Yeah. There's a picture. We'll show this picture of a woman lying on a couch in a room. She's all looking alert. She got it because she's been having a picture taken. She's got pen and paper in hand, ready to write down something (laughs) crazy that happens right in front of her. So it was a pretty sweet gig, I think, for these students. Now, not content with just the observers, Price also invited a flurry of mediums to hold seances to get to the bottom of the haunting. Again, he was later and I think rightfully criticized for this. Yeah. One of these mediums was named Helen Glanville. In 1938, she successfully contacted a nun and an unidentified, initially unidentified male ghost. The nun, she would find out eventually, was named Marie, and she was indeed the nun buried in the walls of the convent nearby. How she got her way to Borley Rectory, because the, I, it's not clear, but let's just say she's yeah. drawn to it. The man turned out to be named Sunix Amures, and presumably he was the naughty monk. It's not completely clear, but it's, it seems like he was. This monk, however, had an alarming prediction for Helen Glanville. Uh-oh. He told her that the rectory would be gutted by fire very soon. In fact, on the 27th of March of that year, 1938. Very ominous. He gave a specific date? He gave a specific date. See, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why not? Well, why can ghosts predict the future? Because they're in the spirit realm, Carrie. So? And therefore, the spirit realm, time doesn't exist as a concept here. They know all things of all time. I don't know, Carrie. That doesn't make sense to me either, but... Yeah, I don't... So anyway, March 27th comes and goes, and the fire, the uh, rectory doesn't burn down. But later, in late 1938, the rectory was bought by Captain William Hart Gregson, W.H. Gregson. 
Big Greg, his friends called him, I'm assuming. <laughs> Greg, Greg, the Greg Rama. On the evening of February 27th, 1939, he's apparently finally getting around to moving in to his new home. And he's kind of moving some boxes so wait, around. it's been empty for... It's been when empty was... Since 1935. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so except for the year that Price and his observers were setting up, which, okay. was, which is, I guess, the second half of 37 to the first half of 38. Okay. So after they move out, Gregson in, in fall or so of 1938 buys... He finally moves in in late February of 1939. Okay. okay. So they sold it. It didn't have anything to do with the church anymore. Nope. Okay. It now belongs to William Hart Gregson. Okay. He's moving some boxes around when he's moving in, and he accidentally, I guess, sort of hip checks a lantern, an oil lamp, oh. and knocks it over, upturns it. So in seconds, the house is ablaze. The house was virtually totaled. It burnt the entire inside, burnt up more or less, the only thing left over is the brick shell. The brick yeah. shell's fine. Bricks will last forever. But yeah. the roof's gone. The floors of the second story are gone. Very little remains other than the shell. So the timing's a little bit off from the prediction, you know? And But still... Oh, and by the way, I, I forgot to mention, the monk told her that they'd find the remains of a murdered person when the fire oh. was put out and the ashes were cleared. Yeah. They did not. Oh. But... That's a problem. It's a year later, and there was fire. Come on, man. Give him a break. It's pretty impressive. Maybe not. Oh. Anyway, what? Carrie does not seem impressed, by the way, listeners. No. Okay, whatever. If they were so specific to give an actual date and year, then it's not impressive. Then. Well, I... It should have been more vague. Ghost... Okay, so you're telling people who predict to be more vague. That's not the way to go. I don't tell anybody anything. But I'm saying it's less believable if, I, if you... What? It's vastly more believable if, you, if you're specific and that actually happens. If he has the power to know that, yes. then he should have been right. Oh, absolutely. But I still would... I would actually... I wouldn't believe any prediction that's vague. Because fires happen. Yes, fires happen. I like that. That should be a t-shirt <laughs> of an arsonist. Be more specific or be less specific. Be, yeah, be less specific. Fires happen. <laughs> You are a terrible psychic researcher. <laughs> As the house went up in flames, Gregson claimed he saw two people, a, quote, lady and gentleman in cloaks. And he saw them leaving the house, right? Yeah. He told this to the police. He also told the police that I was the only one in that house at the time. Dun, 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 dun. So the ghosts were fleeing the fire. Oh. Apparently. I mean that's the implication. I think maybe. I mean we know maybe how not. the we know how the fire started. Yes. So he that's started not, it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but fire did not stop the ghost of the boy of the rectory. Oh no 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 no. So it's gutted. It's basically it's a burnt shell. But people apparently are still going over there because yeah. one night a chauffeur heard that famously invisible coach rushing toward him. Nothing in sight. So he was freaked out. A little bit later, some men. They looked up in the, again, the, the second floor of the rectory, and they saw a girl dressed in white looking down at them from the burnt-out blue room. Oh, the blue room. Which is on the second floor where there were no floors remaining. What was she standing on? Oh. Nothing. Only a ghost can stand up in the second story of a yeah, house without second story. Because she's floating. She's floating, sure. Yeah. So... Price really never gave up on the boiler rector. He was working on it for the rest of his life. One day in 1943, 
He was studying it again, those scribbles written on the wall to Marianne. He had pictures of them. Yeah. And he decided that one of them said either, quote, the well tank bottom me or, quote, the well tank bothers me. Again, it's a non-corporeal form. It's really a lot harder to write on walls than you might think. So yeah. let's be kind. Let's not be mean. So I'm pointing uh, a gun at you. That looks like gov. That doesn't look like gun. No, it's gun. No, that's gun. Uh, that's a B. No, see, that's an N. It's, it's G-U-N. It's gun. Price figured, aha, I have it. I know what that means. He figures that meant the rest of the spirit's body had been buried at the bottom of a well. Yeah. Right? That's, that's what it sounds like to me. Here's the problem. There isn't a well. At the boiling rectory, so he's not defeated. He just decides to dig in the cellar. Close enough. Well, cellar. Well, wait a second. Thing. There could be an old well yes, that's somewhere true. that they just don't know. And he decided to I dig mean, this, through the cellar to find it. This could have happened hundreds of years ago, and it might not even be right around that building. Yes, true. But presumably that these notes were scribbled in 1931 or two or so, so they would have known the well was no longer there. I'm just th- I'm throwing that out. I'm playing devil's Dane. advocate. Okay. Sorry. I'm being too skeptical. So anyway, Price decides to dig in the cellar, and what does he find? Bones. Sure. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for Price, the, he found only two bones. But still, it's pretty impressive. Two human bones, so perhaps they were, oh, wait, did I say human bones? Yeah. No, they were pig bones. I was going to say sheep bones. Yeah, so unless they were allowing pigs to become nuns back in the 14th century, <laughs> the find was a bust. Yeah. But that did not deter Harry Price. No, 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 no. In pure Trumpian fashion, Price just pretended that the pig bones were human bones. Oh, my God. He literally just wrote about the human bones he found. Really? Yep. He wrote them up as human bones, and when the local vicar refused to let the pig bones be given a Christian burial in their church... So he wanted to bury him. He, you know, he was going to have yeah. a photographer there, et cetera. Be a, turned into a big story. He just found another vicar or whatever, a church official in a nearby village called Liston, to do the deed to, to right. bury them in those bones in their church and give them a nice Christian burial. So it took two years, by the way. It was in May 29, nineteen forty-five. The very Reverend Alfred Alfred Clifford Henning laid the pig bones to rest in his church graveyard and gave them a nice Christian rites. Huh. Again, Perry Hill Bryce is saying all the time, though they're human. Yeah. So the next year, Price would release a book called The End of the Borley Rectory. And this was about his latest exploits. And he said in that quote, the bones, part of a human jaw and a skull, again, not true, yeah. popularly thought to be the mortal remains of Marie Lair, the ghost nun who haunted, parentheses, still haunts, question mark, the rectory site were placed in a wooden box and lowered into a small hole dug by the rector earlier in the day. Yeah, see, that's a huge problem. You think? Yeah. It, it sure is, yeah. yes. So here's the thing. I mean, I'm either uh, either he just hoped to find some kind of bones there or he planted them, Harry yeah. Price. If he did plant them, I'm thinking he planted them. Come on, man. Do your best to get some human bones. Call, call around, bribe uh, an orderly. <laughs> do what you need to. But get some human bones, bro. That's all I'm saying, Harry. So 
The hauntings echoed long after the rector was gone now. James and Alice Turner, for instance, they lived in the little cottage that still stood next to the remnants of the rectory, and they reported hearing the sound of children laughing in the orchards where there were no children. And Wait. they also heard footsteps as if on bare boards and that no longer existed. Right. They burnt out. So the guy that, that lived there for not long, I mean, he bought the place mm-hmm. and then burnt it down. He never rebuilt? I mean, you'll No, need- he did not. It would have been, he didn't have the cash. We'll, we'll- uh, go to Home Depot, get some milk. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> go to 1938, uh, 39 Home Depot. In England, but I mean, did he pay cash for the for the house? Let's get to that in a moment. Okay, shall we? there's going to be a story about that there's because a little bit, a little yes, there is. I mean, he'd still have to pay taxes on it, yeah. and as late as 2000, uh, a psychic investor named Colin Wilson. He's I've read his books. He's a I mean, he's he's pretty credulous, but he's a good writer. He heard he was talking to a TV crew that crew that was filming something on the boiler directory site. And the TV crew, according to Colonel Wilson said that they had quote recorded hollow footsteps. They also said they had the sounds of a creaking door. There are no doors there. And remember there's nothing there anymore. And a deep, deep sigh. And this quote left everyone profoundly unhappy, (laughs) which you think is true. So how much would have happened at Borley was real. How much was imagined and how much was outright faked. One fake part was actually easily shown, and when we think about it, it's critical. The nun and the monk story? Yeah. Complete fiction. Absolutely never happened. Research dating back to 1938 showed this. There was never a monastery. There was no convent. There was no monks. There was no nuns anywhere around there. Okay. Complete nonsense. Never happened. Completely made up. And by the way, note this is 1938 when this was shown to be true. It was at a time when the phenomena was still happening. They would happen after that. Yeah. People think that the Reverend Bull probably told his kids some story along these lines back in the eighteen, you know, sixties or seventies or so, because he was he was known to like to tell them like little ghost stories and chilling tales at yeah. bedtime. Like somebody else we know. Yes, that's true. And so the the people surmise that the kids pass it along, probably embellishing it as they went along. So yeah. it therefore it also seems certain that the kids made up the whole nun ghost to flesh out this romantic backstory. In other words, if there was no nun and monk, then there can't be a nun ghost, if you stop it logically, right. okay. or a monk ghost. I have a bone to pick with this guy. Yes, He's telling his children mm-hmm. a bedtime story about a monk and a nun having sex. <laughs> that part's not... We don't know. We don't know. At some po- he, Again, they could have embellished it and then they started claiming they were seeing this nun ghost that fit in yeah. with whatever back, whatever backstory that he had, whatever story he had told them. Similar stories, by the way, were found. This this nun and, and the nun, you know, having an illicit affair, yeah. and the nun being walled up. Two places have that exact same kind of a story. Yeah. Writer Haggard wrote a novel called Montezuma's Daughter that came out in 1893, not long before these around this, the time of these stories were were around. And even in 1808, there's an epic poem by Walter Scott called Marmion that had a similar story as well. Yeah. So there was, you know, he's probably just. The, the it's a pretty father. common theme. I mean, it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It is. So he tells them the kids. The kids tell people around the town. As soon as it's it's just oh yeah no this happened and this is a real thing. It was not a real yeah. thing. So you know that's a that's pretty critical because that's kind of a foundation story for the whole haunting. Marion Foister, she was remember the wife of the Reverend. Yeah. In the nineteen uh, thirties, there her reputation took a huge hit when it was discovered that she had been having an affair 
with their lodger. Oh. First question is, they had a lodger <laughs> yeah. in a famously haunted house? That seems weird. And But yeah, they did, and she was doing the something-something with him. Okay? Yeah. So this possibly sheds some new light on some of the unexplained knockings and moans, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. It also, the nosy little daughter being locked in a room. Uh, okay, that's much more explicable now. Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, that's my guess. She locked her in there so they can do their something, something, and but she let she... her out when they were done. She hid the key. Oh. <laughs> and then found the key later when they were done. Oh, oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, darling. Did you get locked in there? Okay. Mommy, why are you flush? And remember, she was uh, knocked out of bed. Or was she sneaking back into bed when her husband woke up and she says, oh, quick thinking Mary and decides to fall to the ground and say, oh my God, I was just knocked out of bed by a ghost. Okay. Are you making all this? I, are you, all those things happened. No, I know, but are uh, you? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking there are some explanations because of her affair. But anyway, her, her reputation took a huge hit and some people were very suspicious of anything she said. Because remember, uh, tons of the phenomena were by her, for her, around her during but, her tenure there. But only witnessed by her? Because Mo- a lot of them. Well, think of the writings. Yeah. I mean, the obvious guess here is that she's writing them herself. Yeah. And a lot of the, and it expl- again, it really does explain a lot of the things were said to have happened by her. A yeah. lot of things happened to her. She okay. was the one who said, I got hit by something. You know, that could have been rough sex. Yeah. The black guy, the cut. Oh. That's what I'm thinking. Well, did her husband find out? Eventually. Maybe the black he did. guy and the cut came. I think the black out. guy and the cut were before he yeah. found out, I think. But actually, more than just the suspicion of having that came from having been caught in this big lie, Marianne would later completely confess her role in faking much of what happened really? at the board directory. Yes. Years later, she owned up that nothing, literally nothing strange or unexplainable happened to her ever. Wow. Not one thing. All the goings on, she said, were just like creaks and groans of the house or weather. I mean, it's an old yeah. English house. Yeah. There's bad weather and, and things are expanding or whatever. Footsteps were just other people in the house moving around at times, she said. And, and of course, she said lots and lots and lots of it, which is, was flat-out purposeful fraud. Yep. Yeah. It's, well, huh. they, what started out as, as she, I think she more or less said it was, it was a way to distract her husband <laughs> from the affair <laughs> she was having. It just got out of control. It huh. grew and grew. Did she wait until after her husband died? Did they break up? Uh, they said years later she wrote the book, so maybe he was dead. Oh, okay. I don't know. He was older than her, so That's true. Well, I'm going to guess yes. Yeah. And then even later than that, much later, a man named Lewis Merling, he had been he was he used to visit the house in his when he was a very young boy in the nineteen teens. He was a regular visitor when the bowls were still there. And then later on, he actually lived there for a time in the nineteen thirties when the foisters were there. He would write a book that he called We Faked the Ghost of the Boiley Rectory. Oh. Okay. He claimed that both that both the Bulls and the Foisters faked everything during their respective tenures. Well, he lived there. Was he the lodger? No, he was not the lodger. Oh, okay. That guy was a guy named Peerless. I know. I thought okay. the same thing. That was not him, though. He, they, and, they, and when they did this at the time, they were amazed that everybody was adults and media were. Yeah. Up. Mary Lee, again, had been visiting the house since 1918 when he and the Bull kids, and again, he was a child here, they'd openly talk about all the ghost stories they were making up to tell the adults that they had, had experienced. Oh, good so, lord. Again, this is according to him, so he could be flat lying. But yeah, but why? Lies almost always yeah. go the other direction. Yeah. Uh, a ghost piano that was kind of famous, that was actually him 
plucking. He was a, a kid, but he would get a poker, and I guess there was a little gap in the wall, and because he was so little, he could reach the gap in the wall to the back of the piano and pluck the strings with a poker. And so in front of that, the, the people, the assembled like, oh my God, the ghost yeah. piano is playing. And that was him. <laughs> Mailing, he was also later on when he was a little older, he was, uh, they would get him to dress up in kind of a coach outfit and they had a really high collar. So yeah. he'd then go walk around at night in the forest and he looked like a headless coachman. That was oh, him. Oh my goodness. A BBC crew in 1937, and now he's an adult and he's living there with the uh, Foisters, they were completely what? duped. What? What? A what crew? A BBC. Okay. So a BBC crew came and they experienced 2,000 incidents that they could not explain. And they officially kind of came out and said, something crazy is going on here. Like what? A radio Just crew? Just various things. Uh, footsteps, et cetera. This is the time when it, things flying in the air, no, stuff like that. A, a radio I, crew? Yes, Carrie. Okay. You're obsessed with this too. Yes. A radio Well, because TV didn't exist at the time. Radio. So if, BBC okay. radio. Yes. I didn't know BBC <laughs> was a radio thing. <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch you in a... Were you? In a, yes. Okay. All of these things, the point, were <laughs> the frauds committed by Marilyn and the Foisters. Yeah. They just, when people came over to investigate, they just threw shit, <sighs> they did footsteps, they did all kinds of things. They're having a lot of fun. Yeah. He wrote, quote, I would love to say that there was a grain of truth in it all, but I felt that the book had to be written to reveal the farcical truth about the house as personally experienced. Some people, by the way, said Adelaide. Remember the writings on the wall? Yeah. Adelaide was about four when those started. Some people accused her. Like, like one person, a skeptic, said, oh, she was known as an inveterate scribbler. I think that's nonsense. Yeah. I think, I obviously, Marianne yeah. was writing those things. So, yeah. anyway. Guy Lestrange, who I mentioned before and was cryptic about his background. Yep. Because you, you know why I did that? It's because in a lot of the retellings from the more credulous websites and such, just say, oh, this guy named Guy Lestrange did this and saw this, blah, 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 right? He... Um, was it turns out a psychic researcher? Oh, he was a true believer. Yeah. He also made the things he said about the the pen floating and stuff like that, and the writing stuff on the wall that he and the Reverend Smith saw. Yeah. Well, the Reverend Smith, who took these incredibly meticulous notes, he recorded pretty much everything that happened during his time there, and he turned these over the price later, and and later they became public. Right? Nowhere. Does Smith in those notes mention the events that supposedly happened to Lestrange, like the pen, the floating? So it, it, he, Lestrange almost certainly made that up. Okay, but how do you explain anything happening to Reverend Smith? Because the people- His wife throwing shit, his, uh, and, and footsteps, and probably the, uh, her, her lover, the lodger, as well. And later on, Marilyn all committed all those, those acts. They would throw stuff and do footsteps and claim things that didn't happen. Yeah. All oh, that was, the, that was the Marianne. She was yes, that was Marianne. Oh, okay. Marianne Foister. I, yeah, her her. Okay, I, I'm talking about Reverend Smith. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not oh the yeah. Um, that I don't know. I'd have to go back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, again, by that time though, it had this this very well established reputation for being haunted. So we'll talk about that in a second. So somebody else must have been messing. Uh, no, or you know, or you just yes, imagine it. Exactly. Okay. okay. Captain Gregson, the guy who accidentally burned down the rectory. Yeah. Turns out he had bought the house for 500 pounds. Screaming oh. deal, because no one wanted it, right? Yeah. He insured the house for 10,000 pounds. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can guess the rest. His son would actually later publicly admit, my dad burned the house down on purpose, he told me. Well, he missed an opportunity there if it was famously haunted. Yes, he did. There's also, he, he did want, he wanted the insurance money, but he also wanted to turn it into a tourist 
right. event again because it kind of yeah. died down by the late 1930s. Yeah. So he did, but he was unable. The insurance company refused to pay out. So he was broke. He didn't have the money to, to do anything with it. He, didn't, he couldn't rebuild or do anything. He, I, my guess is the fire probably destroyed a lot more than he, he intended to, by the way. Yeah. I don't know that for a fact, but, it, 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 but you know, he wanted the insurance money, and then he's going to turn the, you know, the rectory remains into a big tourist trap that just didn't work out yeah. for him. So all. what, the, uh, the insurance company decided they, he, it was a scam yes, and he did it on did. purpose? They, huh. thought, they thought he said it, and he did. Yeah. I guess. M- most of the phenomena reported, uh, as you, you've seen, it came from people like spiritualists and researchers or the people who admitted hoaxing it. And, you know, uh, Lestrange, again, was, was, he wasn't just a visitor. He was a professional medium. Harry Price, as we know, was writing to make money about these things. Yeah. And, you know, they, they have a vested interest in playing up the phenomenon, I would argue. And again, many of the people, many of the writings currently, they, they leave these things out. They leave out, they'll even leave out that the nun and monk story is complete nonsense, yeah. which is foundational. Because uh, if they did, a person would ask, well, wait, if that's not true, how is there a nun ghost? Right. How is there a monk ghost in a medium? And if there's no nun and monk ghost, then are there any of the other ghosts real? And if they're not real, they're fakes. Somebody's doing something here. Yeah. If someone's doing something here, footsteps and things like that can be fake too, et cetera. It's so, so a lot of these retellings don't, they aren't right. honest. Uh, most also, they exaggerate Price's reliability and still talk about it as a skeptic and things like that. And by this time, he just wasn't. He was, yeah. he was someone who made a lot of money from promoting psychic phenomena and the like. He just did. I mean, and Price is critical. He, he really turned into the big deal that it became. So and he, it turns out, I mean, it, it, it kind of, you'd have to say that he is kind of a co-conspirator from the, tar- from the start, right? Well, the thing is, it looks like he was a co-conspirator from the start. Here's, here's a story. Oh. After Price died in 1948, a reporter for the Daily Mail named Charles Sutton wrote up a story that he said, here's what really happened. He was with Price back in 1929 during those initial investigations. Yeah. And he said that when he and Price were in the rectory one day, a large pebble plunked him, Sutton, in the head. He immediately turned around where Price was, grabbed Price by the coat, and then roughly searched his person. He found in multiple pockets pebbles and stones in Harry Price's coat pockets. So he didn't tell this because he's working with the Daily Mail that very much wanted to keep this as supernatural as possible and sell lots of newspapers. But he essentially directly said Harry Price was doing... So Harry Price was absolutely... you know He was there to write a story, make some money, write in a book... So if he had to throw a few pebbles and probably um, a glass yeah. candlestick or two, then he did so. Yeah. So I know this is very frustrating, by the way, to people who believe this again. I would love for there to be ghosts. I would even love poltergeists. All those things would be fantastic. I know it's easy for me to say, well, it's just a lot of people lying. But in these kinds of stories, it, it is very is. awesome, just a lot of people lying. Yeah. It just is. I'm sorry. It would even be fun if it was all still unexplained and nobody knew. I would you know. love that. But, you know, yeah. when you typically scratch below the surface, it turns out you find a lot of fraud. Yeah. And, th- th- of course, th- again, we were talking about a minute ago, there's more than just lies here. There's all kinds of cognitive biases. Once something gets established like that, who, who's, who's going there to look into it? It's people who want there to be sure. something there. Yeah. So anything turns, it's fear and suggestion is and and you know fed from this bedrock lies though like like the nun story you know it, yeah. it, it forms this kind of foundation for what happens next and 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 cognitive biases and and confirmation bias can do the rest 
Um, so I don't know. And hold on one second. Oh, okay. And in this case, in Price case, to finish about the the, the Price story in 1956, three kind of peers of his, three more, I guess, more legitimate psychical researchers wrote a book eight years after Price died, and it was called The Haunting of Boiler Rectory, and it, it just, I haven't read it, but it, apparently it lays bare all these arguments that Price was indeed a fraudster, and everything he did was was deliberate fraud. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, you know, you got tossing pebbles and, and well, hold on, I'm going to keep this out. So, like, uh, never mind, I'll just cut it out. So I have one final anecdote for you. Okay. The year before the burial, burial of Price's pig bones, <laughs> so it's 1944, the local worthies finally decided enough is enough, and they had the rectory demolished. <gasps> Remember, it's a burnt oh, out hole by this time. That's just I agree. sacrilege. I think so, too. It was less than 100 years old, so it wasn't that big a deal. In England, that's oh. like, that's a couple weeks to us. Price was there. When this happened, naturally, again, he never let it go. He wrote about it for the rest of his life. And he had a photographer with him, as well mm-hmm. as an assistant. The photographer snapping pictures. They weren't able to get that close. They had to, because they're demolishing it, so they had to be right. away. But the photographer has, a, has a, I guess, a telephoto lens, and he's taking a lot of pictures while the workmen are knocking things down and tearing down the brick edifice, right? He'd already, by the way, sold the story, along with colored pictures, he promised, to Life magazine. The oh. huge mess. So he's making a, a good chunk of change for that, I'm sure. Yeah. Later, when Price and the photographer were developing the pictures, something caught their eye. In a picture of a doorway, so no door, just a doorway there on, on the on the ground floor, was a brick, seemingly hovering a few feet off the ground. Goodness. For the life spread, Price wrote quote wrote quote. As Mr. Sherman pressed the trigger, which operated the shutter mechanism of his camera lens, <laughs> over-explaining that, <laughs> a brick, or part of a brick, suddenly shot up about four feet into the air in front of what remained of the kitchen passage, just below the bathroom passage. The three of us saw it, and, as I said, we were at least 100 feet away from it. We all laughed and called it the last phenomenon, and said the poltergeist were demonstrating in honor of our visit. The brick, of course, as you can guess, has simply been caught in mid-flight. Flight, yeah. Had simply been caught in mid-flight, falling from above as the workman demolished, demolished the, the house. So Price knew this. The yeah. photographer knew it, they yeah. were, and, and so did his assistant. But simple truths never have sold like the inexplicable and the fantastic, and they never will. Yeah. And he was selling. Here's a problem. This is why it's hard for us to do hauntings or <laughs> ghosts or whatever because yeah. they're never really real. They aren't. They um, it, it's like I said. It would be great just to have, and we'll find one. There's, you know, the great Amherst one actually that was pretty fake. Um, <laughs> but there's remember Fifty Berkeley Square. Yeah, that was pretty fake too. <laughs> I'm sure. Eventually, I'm searching for a haunted house story. Yeah, that has at least it has some remaining mystery to it. Yeah. Like we haven't proven it's fake. Again, as we've said a hundred times, yes. skeptics don't have to prove it's fake. You have to prove it's real. These, this unnatural phenomena. This is the way the world works. That's the way reality works. But it, it would be great to have a story that's like, wow, that is pretty inexplicable. I, can't, yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. We'll find one. 
Hopefully, if you have one, listeners, by the way, send us in. Yeah. If you have some, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be out there and say, oh, well, that's bullshit. You know, uh, Marianne was lying, or those three people who wrote that book, they just didn't like Harry Price, or whatever. But no, I mean, yeah. th- there's hard facts. Like, again, starting with the nun and the monk, it never happened. Yeah. So there shouldn't be a nun ghost there. It, it, and it just kind of follows Here's from that. Here's the thing <clears throat> if there's some sort of afterlife, if our energy, because I don't necessarily believe in souls, but, you know, energy cannot be destroyed, right? Isn't that true? And if we are energy, what happens to our energy when our bodies die? So there might be people's energies floating around, whatever, because I don't believe in heaven or hell, so where else are they going to go? Floating around. Scary. Yeah. Well, and also... (laughs) But there may or may not be any consciousness to them. Yes, that's true. Well, there is a a theory of ghosts. One theory is that it's sort of like these violent events sort of etch themselves on some location. And they end... I don't know, through energy. (laughs) And that's why we see the same ghost walking on the parapet with, you know, without a head or something who was was murdered in that castle or something like that. That's And that's why you see ghosts sort of often attached to places. Yes. My issue is, how does that energy become visible as a headless ghost walking upon the The supernatural See, that's is simply the natural we don't understand yet, they would say. Sure. Having said that... But there has to be some sort <laughs> There has of, to be some causal explanation. Yes, You're right. Yeah. I agree. And it could be that we're just nowhere near it, and we're not even touching the hem of understanding it. Yeah. Or it could be that is yeah. all bullshit. So I think it will, if in fact there are energies roaming around us, mm-hmm. it's way more mundane and everyday kind of stuff. Like my grandmother saying, who's that girl in the corner? Or, you know. Your grandmother said that? Yeah. When she was dying of Alzheimer's. Oh, okay. Well, that could happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you know, that's what? another thing too. You these, I mean, this is going to sound even more my name, but a lot of these things that we have called ghosts and things like that, yeah. do a very, they are explained like succubi and incubi. We now know are hypnopompic and hypnogogic yeah. dreams and and easily explained. And that life after death, the whole the narrowing of the light has been explained right. by something by science as a, brain. a function of your brain. But also, I don't think that's uh, actually agreed upon. Mm, uh, which that, part? Those are theories. Yeah, those are theories, the, true. When you die. Well, but, the, the hypnagogic are, I mean, sure. the, the, whole, the whole idea of, I don't I mean, I shouldn't say just specifically succubi and incubi, those are two famous instances, but those things where you have those, those waking dreams, those dreams yeah. that seem insanely real, we know what's going on there now. Yeah. Yes. So the same could be for seeing ghosts. We're seeing any kind of, uh, or, or hearing too, by the way. We More and more we know we have audible hallucinations as well as visual hallucinations. Yeah. So there's things, you know, footsteps and things like that. Uh, just like you can, your brain can see things that aren't there, your your brain can hear things that aren't there. But, I, but see, that's what I think is happening. It's your brain filling in things that aren't really, you're not seeing, like my grandma probably wasn't really seeing a little girl there. But, you know, there was something going on, some sort of information her brain was getting, and it filled in there was a girl there because obviously there wasn't a girl there. And then Nobody again... Nobody else saw the ghost. Maybe she was. And maybe she was that's the only I'm one saying. open enough to see that ghost. That's what Carrie. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't... Like that's what you're saying. But I don't... I, I'm saying I don't think it's really visual. Oh. I don't think you can see it. If it's the whole energy thing, like I think, Yeah. I don't think you can really see it. I think it's your brain... Oh, I see. 
getting that energy, right? Mm-hmm. Of okay. that I'll person. Buy that. And Almost like telekinetically. Yeah. And your brain is filling in the details mm-hmm. of, oh, it's a little girl. This is what a little girl like. The problem like. is that gives sustenance to those medians, those sensitives who are 100% full of shit. And they're the, the special ones who can make contact with the dead and things like that. They, I, I despise those people. They're evil. Uh, like that long island medium who tells, you know, t- tells sad people yes. what they want to hear and, and tricks them and fools them for money. She's a monster. But if you want to be open to the fact that this could possibly exist, yes. the whole energy thing like I'm talking about, you have to be open to the fact that there might be somebody who is a little bit more in touch with That's true. You know, the signals that their brain is getting and That's they true, understand but then, it a little bit better. But then why all of them cold reading full, uh, bullshit artists? I'm not talking about them. Okay, I'm just well. saying you can't... If you're open to the fact that it could exist, you have to be open to the fact that there yes. might no, be a, right. a teeny tiny fraction yes. of those people who make those claims. And it might even be somebody who doesn't make those claims. Yeah, my suspicion is that it is somebody exactly. who's not making those claims. Yeah. I, I think it just got the shit out of you if it was real. I think everybody who's on TV and is notorious and, and, and takes money for doing psychic things is 100% yeah. full of shit and a fraud. I think if someone really could do that and have those sensitivities, they'd be scared shitless of it and they wouldn't or maybe not. use it for money. Or, or, or most of them. It Let's might it not way. be that scary is what I'm uh, saying. Come on. How would that not be scary? Because once they figure it, maybe at the beginning, but once yeah. they figure it out, it, you know. And then you use it for cash. If people are, are threatening them, know. you know, it might not be that scary. I suppose. That's my, my bias is against those people so i think they're all frauds maybe i'm wrong yeah okay i'm a little bit more open which is weird because <laughs> i'm usually not very open to things that i yes no i'm 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 i would love the idea of there being ghosts and ghosts and being able to explain ghosts and, and a lot of these ghostly visitations being real in this case specific to the case of the boiler rectory it seems fairly yes. conclusive yeah. that it didn't happen yeah. the way the lore tells it but it is a, it's a great story though yeah it's a good story yeah Okay. Well, thank you, Carrie. Well, thank you, Dean. Tell them stuff if you want to. Oh, uh, you know, weirdworldpodcast at gmail.com and weirdworldpodcast on Facebook and Instagram and um, weirdwordpod on Twitter. Thank you. Until next time, we'll scare you again in a week. Maybe not. Maybe that's scary. <laughs> we'll try to. Bye. <laughs>